Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch and a special welcome to a lot of new listeners who have recently joined us as we present the series of the seven S's. These are the seven areas that you need to tick in your life. You need to be on top of these seven areas to really be in a position to live your best life, have the best energy, get the most done in your day. And these are the seven areas that you need to manage that brings the best out of you. So the people that are around you and whether it's your family, your friends, the customers get the very best of you because anything less than that is an absolute tragedy. We are all born on this earth with a special gift and the tragedy is we never get to realize that gift or manifest that gift so people get to see it, get to see you shining at your brightest because I get it, we have so many things that distract us in life these days. Information is really flowing at the speed of thought. We are inundated daily. And these distractions take us away from the important areas of our life. And they are health, our relationships, our family, our work, our friendships, our continuous learning, our charity, and our wealth. And to live your best life in those eight areas of life, you need to manage these seven things very, very well. So we've taken you on a journey with the previous six S's. And if you haven't already listened to these last six episodes, I urge you to go back and do so. The first one is on sustenance, which is all about what we put in our body. And it's not just food, it's also water, air and sunshine, right? The second is about starvation, which is all about fasting and why it's a natural thing for us to starve ourselves sometimes in a natural way. And we talked about fasting in a very unique way. And uh, may I remind everyone that on this journey with us has been Dr. Scott Wustenberg from Advanced Rehab. He's an incredible thought leader. Our listeners absolutely love his approach to health, his vast knowledge, and it's nice to know that we have these experts here in Australia. We actually do, but most of us listen to podcasts typically from the US and forget all the experts that we have here in Australia. So Scott has been on this journey with us and he's enlightened us. His specialty is sustenance and nutrition. He has a master's in uh, nutritional medicine, but we talked about starvation in a unique way. Then we covered sleep, which is imperative. That was a game changer for me. Then we talked about strength. And the fifth S is sunshine and why that is so important. Then we talked about socializing. The sixth S, and for a lot of people, and for Scott in particular, he said that was the most important S because socializing boosts our immunity improves our longevity. So we talked about socializing in a unique way, about connectedness. Last week, we talked about the seventh S, and that is stress, and we covered part one. In today's episode, we're going to cover part two of stress. So last week, it was all about what is stress and its impact on the body. In today's episode, we are going to continue that exploration into what stress is, how it impacts our body, and more importantly, what we can do about it, because 
Dr. Scott Wustenberg is going to share the tool set and a lot of what we're going to share with you. And I'm an avid researcher and a lot of what he shared with me is stuff that I've heard for the first time. So if you're expecting the usual stuff about meditation and and, uh, (laughs) mindfulness and what have you, yes, it's some of those things, but so much more that Scott has gone through with me. So sit back, relax and enjoy part two of the final S about stress and stress management. Can people get addicted to stress? Do people go looking for stress? I'm talking about the worry types. People, you know, they say he or she was a warrior, not a warrior. What is going on there at the hormonal level where people are seeking out things to stress about? Is there an addiction to those hormones of cortisol, adrenaline? There's a couple of responses to that. One of which is that there is genetic phenotypes for people who are more anxious, more worrying, more stressor versus stress. So as we spoke about looking at your profiles, there is four basic levels of stress response to everything. And I use basic numbers. There's the normal level of stress response, and we release 50 units of cortisol. There's a more stressed one where it's 100, 150, and 200. So there are four levels of chemical response for the same stressor. That's why some people get really frightened by things, and other people go, oh, that's not so bad. So that's at the very basic epigenetic level. And you can be given different genes that work in sequence in your system, which will make you more of a worrying phenotype or more of a warrior phenotype. So that's hard baked into all of us. Further to that, though, we are learning organisms. We learn the good and the bad, depending on what value judgment you want to apply to it, right? So if you learn that something is threatening you and you become really vigilant and really anxious and you just keep looking, your brain will believe that was the right technique to survive that sort of stress. So the next time you get triggered, you smell that thing, that shape passes the window. It reminds you of the last time when the monster jumped through and tried to beat you up. You will run the same or similar stress response pattern. Or you become quicker at that response. And then the next time something similar occurs, you trot it out even faster. So it's not so much that you are addicted to it. It is that your brain believes that this reflexogenic pathway works superbly last time and the time before and the time before, that I will keep it really close to the surface that as soon as something, I'm just going to do that again. And it becomes your go-to behavior. Now, some of that is driven by that phenotype, because if you've got higher amounts of those chemistries going on, they are easier to reproduce that learned pathway. So again, stress responses and resilience is learned behavior equally as much as it is imprinted and inbuilt into us. So we can learn to become resilient again and overcome and not keep doing the same things that we have always done. So just because someone is anxious and worries doesn't mean they have to spend the rest of their existence. And there's plenty of things we can do to help get rid of that. But further to other effects, if you take the blood supply away from the gut because the body wants to pump it up into the muscles, the heart, the lungs, the brain to keep running or fighting, you don't digest the food as well. The gut lining doesn't repair as effectively. 
You yep. don't absorb as efficiently. You don't detox and pass the things out because one of the responses is I either hold my bowel so that if I'm having to run, I don't have to stop to poop or I get it out as quick as I can, which is diarrhea or dysentery or other looseness. And this is the patterns of IBS. Chronic stress drives things like IBS. Yep. If I'm light, if I get rid of it all, I can run quicker, can't I? I don't have as much energy wastage going to that part of my body. I've got to get away from this. Or I could just hold on and store it up because, you know, if I hold it for three days, it's not going to kill me. And by that stage, I should have got away from the monster anyway, right? Yes, yes. So it's a survival mechanism. And then it becomes entrained. Your nervous system learns that I'm under chronic stress still. Well, it worked and I survived it last time. So every time that I have that chronic stress keep occurring, my bad boss, my boyfriend doesn't love me, you know, you pick your thing that triggers you. You run the appropriate learned survival response. And that then clicks all the different survival responses that get triggered by that pattern into play, slowing the bowel down, hyping up your tenseness in your neck and shoulder muscles, changing postural position, all of these things. So there's an entire body position associated with chronic stress. It is short neck, head down and forward, rounding of the shoulders. You make a smaller target and you are also pre-priming your musculature for do I hit it? And those tight calves are pre-primed so that you can run away really quickly. Sprinter's calves. You need to get away from that thing as fast as you absolutely can. So the body primes you for that threat. It takes the blood supply away from the skin. So your skin doesn't get nourished in the same way. So we get skin sores and rashes and allergy looking responses. Now the medical system goes, oh, well, you've got dermatitis, pitiformins, or it, it gives us some really cool label for what it is. And it treats the thing. And that's all well and good because that's great information. But if it's an end response to this chronic unnamed threat, then treating the thing individually here will have no endpoint effect on the severe state of malaise that your whole system is under. And that part gets better. So you generate it on the other side because it didn't fix any part of how the whole system is working. You didn't take any load off. Absolutely. Uh, makes perfect sense. Yeah. And a lot of people are caught in that loop and they're chasing quick fixes to treat the symptoms and not the cause. Yep. How much do you think of, just as an estimate of the patients that you see, uh, a lot of the ills that are expressed in our body, you know, either through the skin or brain fog or the bowels are due to stress? What percentage? I would, I would put you at pretty close on 100%, except those who turn up in my practice from direct trauma. Okay. You have direct wow. trauma. Wow. You get a, a punch in the head. You yeah. have a physical thing that happened to you you fall over like i had a case yesterday where the chap had broken both his ankles at football last year and you know he's in his 40s and things don't get as flexible and when you're in a bad tackle things don't go the right way so he had physical injuries that were putting physical stress on his body which yeah. then leads to some degrees of emotional stress but most people have some degree of 
psychosomatic mind-body interface that the endemicness of threat is leading to like my favorite one. I had another new patient yesterday. It was a big day. I had a lady who has spent, she guesstimates over half a million dollars in the last 20 years looking for a reason why she feels bad. She has felt unwell in some way, shape or form since she was five. What a tragedy. Okay. She yep. can't sleep properly. She yeah. has chronic sensations of pressure on her chest. She spent huge amounts of money and time in psychotherapy with psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., because they're all saying to her that she must have a emotional problem. She must be sabotaging her because when she does the meditative breathing, etc., it makes her feel anxious. Every one of these people, every person that she has seen has missed her very severe tongue tie, okay? So she has a postural cue that she is very severely rounded forward. And so when we do a tongue tie test on her and poke her tongue out, in her natural seating position, her tongue projects really well. When I made her actually sit up, her tongue would not project past her lip, okay? Could not come out of her mouth past the bottom edge of her lip. That's not too bad, but it's not far enough. We've already spoken about that, Sam. <laughs> but she makes yours look really good. Okay. So okay. she is twice as bad, shorter than that. Okay. But that tongue tension causes pressure in her chest that she's had since birth, which has driven her to have pressure in the chest and nameless anxiety that everyone has treated as if it's a psycho-emotional neuro problem, whereas it's a physical malady. But she has had years of people reinforcing her that she's nuts, basically. Yep. Put yep. it as quietly as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because it's not always... It's true, not. But, so yeah. so her, her stress is physical. It is physically there in her body and it cannot be gotten away from and because that physical maladaptive breathing her tongue chokes her every night she wakes with a gasp basically every hour or so so she has sleep fragmentation sleep fragmentation is like torture it's exactly what we discussed with poor sleep pattern leads to sensitization acidification vigilance anxiety fear so her physical body has generated a fear pain sensitization pattern since she was five but it's actually since she was six months of old is when her first symptom is but that's besides the point what i'm trying to illustrate is you can get a emotional to body response something bad happens out there and it makes me feel threatened and then i start manifesting change in my body or you can have a physical thing that you don't really know is there that will breed chronic anxiety and manifest physical symptoms all over the place but because you don't really know that that symptom pattern comes from a physical thing because you can't see it and when it's affecting you because her biggest problem is that she's being choked at night fragmenting her sleep but she doesn't have any clue that that's really going on because you're asleep you just wake up and go well i woke up there must be something yes yes but yes. Chronic sleep fragmentation leads to all the psychological disturbances that she's pretty well ever had 
and it will not go away with therapy or supplements or drugs or otherwise, because every time she goes to sleep, her body gets choked. So her brain believes that there is a monster after her. So the behavior pattern of her unconscious brain becomes imprinted permanently. I survived, so I'll keep doing the survival pattern because it's the only thing that's keeping me alive. I am not going to let go of the survival pattern because you are not meeting my needs. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what that drug is. It doesn't matter. I'm still being threatened. And until you remove the threat, whether it's reframing it, nourishing it, getting sunlight, connecting with someone, getting hope back, it doesn't matter what it is, your brain will keep adapting in a decompensatory pattern to deal with the prime threat because the overarching goal is organism survival. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful example that you've used because the cause and effect is not always understood. It, and it takes practitioners such as yourself to actually say, well, what is really, what is the first trigger? What is the first trigger? Because it's not always a mental or emotional stress that leads to the physical. There was a trigger. What was the original trigger? Exactly. Uh, that's a really good example. So there's stresses that we can't avoid. There's stresses that we're born with in that case, you yes. know, with the tongue tied. There's also stresses that we can avoid. So what are these stresses that, well, because yes, stress is about our reaction to things and we can't lock ourselves up in a room and say, well, I'm not going to have any stress in my life. And that's that would be stress because you're locked up in a room. And that's you're right. That's right. Well, people do that and they think they're going to fix their problem. I've had accountants who blame their job on the stress and they give up an accountancy practice to open up a florist oh god and then they completely flopped and went bankrupt and then they created a financial stress so people don't really treat the underlying stress yeah but there are some stresses that we should all stay away from and there are physical mental emotional so for a couple of examples and this is why the genetic test that i did with yourself one of the three tests was a great insight into how I was because I found out what triggers my stress the most. We found out I can't metabolize alcohol or caffeine very well. So that was good to know. I never knew that. So that's an example of a stress you need to avoid. Sure. Maybe it's a toxic person that you need to avoid. Now that's hard when it's a family member, but you minimize your exposure to them, right? Yes. What are some of the other stresses that we should all try and avoid? So to some degree, if we think about the other successes that we've spoken about, including socialization, sunlight, etc., not getting enough sunlight is a stress on the body, yet too much sunlight is also a stress on the body. So everything is about balance to some degree. Yes, yes. Not socializing is a stress. And for some people, too much socializing, too much people. I get over people. I'm actually an introvert. No one believes me. No one believes me. I know. I did make my Myers-Briggs thing and it tells me I'm an introvert. And I actually recover when I'm not with people as against needing to be with people, which is the true definition of an introvert of whichever ilk that I actually am. But the major stresses that I would start with with everyone is looking at toxic exposure, okay? So I don't drink any alcohol. I haven't drunk alcohol in five and a half years. I just don't see a need for it for me. Alcohol is a poison, full stop. Doesn't okay. matter what anyone actually says. It's 
damaging your tissue and stimulating your body to have to adapt. And people say, ah, oh, but it does this, that, and the other. Yet you can justify it however you want. It's still a poison. It might be a poison you like. It might have a nice kind of warm, fuzzy feeling for you. But ultimately, everyone has to make their own choices of what they're tolerant of or what they're going to choose to do. For me, alcohol was something I didn't want. And part of the reason for that is because I do an awful lot of brain rehab with people and alcohol melts neurons fundamentally, it damages brains. I would say to everyone, you really want to start having a look at is alcohol actually serving you or are you serving it? Okay. There's a lot of studies out there that say, oh, you live longer if you drink moderate amounts of alcohol. And my, my first statement to that is, yeah, but who funded that? We're a big alcohol producing country, aren't we? <laughs> totally. Yes. So if you look at what's being kind of published by government standards and all the lobbyist working bodies out there, including dietetic associations, etc., who are sponsored by some very interesting corporate people, we keep hearing statements to say alcohol and wheat and sugar, all of these things are good in moderation as brought to you by the Wheat Growing Board of Australia. Maybe some of the information we get might not be as honest or as necessarily truthful for absolute good as, well, we just sort of smudge that data. But yeah, first and foremost, we want to avoid toxins. All toxins past a certain point will have a negative impact on us and make us have to adapt. And that could be taking resources away from another area, creating another stress or a breakdown in the body. So that could be, as I said, alcohol, it could be heavy metals, it could be caffeine. Now, I think caffeine is a malign thing. And I take it away from people only when their epigenetics show that they can't tolerate it, or they don't want to have it anymore. If you don't want to drink coffee, I'm not going to make you drink coffee. But, you know, we kind of have this thing in society, coffee, bad, tea, good. Well, um, that doesn't really fit. They're both kind of herbal things steeped in hot water. They both have caffeine in it. Like my dad drank 12 cups of tea a day. There is no way he wasn't over-caffeinated and over-tannated. You know, tannin, ugh, it's a tanning agent. It acidifies everything on the inside. It cannot have been good for him. Would he listen to me? Not a hope in hell. I like where you were going with the toxicity of people. And I like exactly that idea that avoiding toxic people, avoiding people who don't serve you. And I think one of the greatest things that we have to do is we have to learn that it's okay to not have people who don't serve your best interests in your life, regardless of whether they're a loved one, family member or friend. If they are a properly toxic person who is only taking from you and expecting you to keep giving and giving and giving and forgiving all their trespasses, but none are forgiven backwards, you actually don't need that person in your life. And it is okay, regardless of the initial hardship, to let them go. And yes, it will be harmful and stressful in the initial part. Yes. But the loss of energy that not having that, that psychophant sucking from you will actually be really positive. Sometimes that's because I've seen a lot of this with the lockdowns, et cetera. We're seeing a lot of relationship breakdowns because all that time jammed together in a box really showed that they weren't particularly compatible in the first place. Absolutely. Yep. yep. So removing toxic, toxic people, I call them energy vampires. Mm. Uh, because the first thing that gets impacted is your energy. I actually produced uh, a detailed article on this uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the pieces was I outlined 12 signs that a person is toxic. Because people say, well, 
what is a toxic person? How do I do that? So if you guys want to email us, we can share that uh, article with you. Just email inquiries with an E at a higherbranch.com and Taylor will email that article to you. And it's a, it's beautiful because you go through and you say, oh, I have a friend that's like that. I have a friend that's, that's competitive with me or that's trying to put me down or only calls me when there's when they have issues. But yeah, so toxic people. Really, really important stressor to eliminate. Okay, alcohol, maybe caffeine. Yeah, um, caffeine, it's, it's nourishment. So the, the concept of nourishment, malnourishment is super, super important. Just because you ate calories doesn't mean you nourished. And so a lot of the food advertising out there is for food-like substances. And currently, we're hearing a big run about tofurkey and facon and, you know, all these super meat replacement magical things. Then you want to eat meat, eat meat. Get the highest quality stuff from the best source possible. You don't yeah. want to eat meat, don't eat meat. However, there is balance to it. What you don't want to eat is all of the fancy additives, the monosodium glutamates, the meat glues, the colorings, preservatives. If it's got lots and lots of numbers and names that are fancy that you've got no idea what those things are, probably shouldn't be eating it. Think about the simple golden rule of eat as close to nature as possible. Now, I use some really stupid examples of this. If you have to have a drink and there's nothing except Diet Coke and Coke available, I'm going to tell you to drink Coke, okay? The reason why is you have enzymes and capacity to easily break down the sugars, et cetera, that are in the Coke. You don't have enzymes, et cetera, for easy breakdown of the artificial sweeteners. They were never designed to be in us. And yes, we can manage them, but you're having to work harder. So the goal is to think about, do I eat a carrot or do I have carrot juice? Well, carrot juice is highly processed. People say, oh, it's the best thing. Well, maybe, but if you take the carrot that you grew in your backyard and you process it yourself and you drink it straight away, maybe that's good carrot juice. But if it's in a bottle that's sitting on a shelf in plastic that's preserved and it's got a two-year shelf life, that's probably not the greatest thing for you to have. Eat food as close to nature that resembles the thing that it was designed to be. So anything processed is a stress. Anything with preservatives is a stress. As a generalized statement, I mean, some people will argue with me. I don't really mind, but I think it's better to be eating much more of that whole food diet with enzymes in it, with minerals, with nutrients, amino acids, that traditionally, you know, the last hundred thousand years, we know how to eat a banana. We don't necessarily know how to eat banana flavored thingy, you know? Yes. Yeah. And look, for those of you who are listening, you can go back to our first episode in the 7S series where we covered sustenance and we did a deep dive into nutrition, food, and what is nourishing and what is toxic for your body. But Scott, what other stresses? I mean, some of the stresses that I'm thinking that people should avoid. Electronics. Okay. There you go. All right. So technology, electronics in bed. Oh, yeah. Electromagnetic fields are particularly harmful for sleep. What about sitting for too long? Is that a stress? Ultimately, human beings are designed to move. Now, we've come across this stuff recently where everyone's going, sitting is the new smoking. Now, I disagree with that. I don't think it's the same thing as smoking. Human beings traditionally are lazy, lazy creatures. We are phenomenally lazy. We're very efficient when we're meant to move. So we spend efficient time loping out there as hunter gatherers getting the food for a few hours 
And then we lolled around all day and did nothing. Yes. So it's not necessarily a stress. So we're wired really for rest and relaxation, sitting, doing nothing. Absolutely. But sitting compared to squatting, compared to lying is much harder on the body and certain structural positions work better. Like again, while I know it didn't work super well for you, those saddle stools, which generally keep the pelvis in the right position, or one of the big round fit balls generally work better than a traditional flat bottom 90 degree chair because it rolls your pelvis into the wrong position and shortens hamstrings and the psoas muscles and it rounds you in the back and pushes your head forward. So there are bad things about sitting, but if you think about it, again, I would say that that is more about not having done things to tone your musculature to maintain your erect spine than it is to blame the sitting itself. Further, I am not the greatest fan of standing desks. Now, everyone, I went through the phase. I'm actually sitting at a standing desk at this moment because it's in the seated position because I don't like it because we are designed to move. We're designed to squat. We're designed to stand for short periods of time. We're not designed to be chained to a desk in a standing position any more than we are chained to a desk in a seated position. Yep, yep, absolutely. Just to wrap it up then, let's look at how we manage stress. I want to know a toolkit. You mentioned a toolkit for managing stress. Okay, so we know that different people have different triggers and sometimes we have stresses we're born with. Sometimes we have environmental stresses that we can't avoid. And there are some stresses that we can't avoid. But for someone that's in that state of stress right now, doesn't matter how they got there. And maybe it's an acute stress or maybe it's chronic stress. Right. But if, if someone's sitting right now listening to this and they're feeling stressed, what is your top three tips for actually managing that stress and also if you more than welcome to include supplements in that list you do have some phenomenal supplements that you've shared in the past so the very first thing i would say is connect okay and what i mean by that it could be connect with a practitioner someone who can listen and look from a thousand mile up overview and try and give you some help and direction it could be connect with a priest or a psychologist so that you can unload and say, look, this is what's happening to me. I need my spiritual or emotional, psychological support and succor to occur. It could be connect with a group or a family member. It could be just turning off the computer and getting outside and walking in the park and seeing people. Again, the biggest threat and stress that I see these days is isolation. So connectedness is still my most favored way of managing stress because the support of others around you makes most things get better. Like if you go back on that one to think about some of the African tribes, I know there's a tribe and I forget what they're called, that they take criminals and they put them in the center of the group and they basically hug that person and they say nice things. And everyone in the group recites the positives about that person to get them to see how loved and connected and special and sought after the person is to kind of see that you don't need to be antisocial because you're part of us. And fundamentally being part of us means that when you are harming, you're harming yourself as well as the people who love you. So that love, that cherishment, that connectedness at whatever level, I think is the most important thing for managing stress because it helps us drive down the nameless 
fear. So pick up the phone. Yeah, absolutely. Reach Take out. Take a booking, reach out. Be brave. Call a friend for a coffee. Call a family member, go see a movie, go for a walk, whatever it is. I wrote an article uh, a few years ago now, which was extremely popular on LinkedIn, and it did go viral about why we've lost the ability to have fun and how to reconnect with that. And there was a lot of tips there on socializing and didn't call it connectedness back then, but the importance of socializing. So that's super important. I think that loops back to your original point, and that is that connectedness is the key in all of this to drive hope as well. Number two. Well, see, number two... Because, you know, people talk about meditation, talk about breathing, talk about going for a walk in nature, but I'm looking for the three that you turn to when you just want to short-circuit the whole negative path, the the negative loop. ACT therapy, acceptance commitment therapy. So as, as a form of mental retrainment, psychology and support... It is my absolute favorite. It is a series of tools that teach you how to recognize you are in this moment and nothing that like we've been having a chat for about an hour or so now, right? That moment that we started with an hour ago doesn't exist except in our memories. And then, of course, we did print it into the world. All we can do is be in this moment and suck the life out of this moment. Whatever bad thing occurred no longer exists unless you give it life. So you can anchor yourself to that moment and keep stabbing yourself with the hardship of it. But acceptance commitment therapy gives you tools to learn how to let go of the stress that's occurring acutely in this moment or chronically, perhaps you were raped as a 15 year old. You no longer need to identify at 35 as a rape survivor. You're not. You're this beautiful, creative human being, and you don't need to be defined by that one single moment in your life. Learning to have the tools to let go of that chronic threat, that chronic stressor. My favorite example is still, they they talk about a bus, and your purpose in life is to drive your bus, which is actually your life, and not take requests from the jerks in the back. You are not there to dress them up in Hawaiian shirts with sombreros and Groucho Marx kind of nose glass sort of thing. Your memories, good, bad, or indifferent, will always be in your bus. You can't get them off the bus because they happen. They're in your bus, but you are not entitled to keep fraternizing with them. And they are not entitled to tell you how to live the rest of your life or what direction your life should be going in. You, as the conscious, beautiful being that you are, connected to source, makes that decision. And so that was one of the most beautiful, powerful lessons I took out of ACT therapy to deload threat response and stress in my own life. I love it. It sounds like something we should cover in a deeper dive, actually. So we will do some research on that. Thanks, Scott. And yeah, it is definitely something worth exploring further. Acceptance is one of the key principles and how to practice acceptance at a higher branch. And the next series, what we call the circle of conscious living, and it's a five-step process. And step three is how to practice acceptance. That's that's beautiful because you're focusing on the primary things, aren't you? The socializing, the letting go of the past acceptance. And there's the secondary things is like breathing exercises, you know, breath holding Lovely. and you know, cold therapy, sauna. Oh, yeah. They're all secondary. I, I accept that. What about, I guess, supplements would be in that same category, secondary as well, aren't they? Yes and no. So I would put someone who's under acute threat. I, there's a couple of things that I use 
commonly. One is a product called Enkeflin, which is made here in Australia by uh, a company called Bioconcepts. It is my absolute favorite supplement for managing threat, pain, psychological stress in people. So it's a balanced formula that makes Enkeflinoids. And E-N-K-A-P-H-A-L-I-N. Yeah, Enkeflin. So Enkeflins are a neurotransmitter, small molecule opioid that drives connectedness within your brain pathways and allows us to seek resilience and overcome. The brain uses these cell signaling molecules to drive comfort in your own body, to turn pain off, to drive resilience. That formula I found helps people make serotonin, make dopamine, make noradrenaline and bring their own brain back into balance. Now, again, it's dose dependent and it might not be the answer for everyone, but I found it very successful in a lot of these cases. Now, I also combine it with a, a supplement, which is a derivative of green tea called theanine, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. And theanine helps release GABA in the brain. GABA is the calmative. It's the anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. And theanine helps the brain release it. Works on a similar chemical receptivity to diazepam, but it's not addictive and it's not as strong, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, as a, a diazepam, a, a Valium by any other name. So Valium releases GABA, but it does it in a big dump and it creates addictive tendencies. Theanine does not create addictive tendencies and it can help take anxiety down. Now, again, I want to point out if someone's in an acute psychotic, anxiety, depressive state, Maybe we need medication. Maybe we need a psychiatrist. Maybe we need an acute psychiatric, you know, assessment and support. It's yes. just we need to be rational about what will work and what won't. And there's a tool for everything. Now, while I'm saying connectedness and acceptance, commitment therapy and enkeflin work for the majority of these cases, these are the majority of cases that are chronic severe stress where someone hasn't gone into that phase four, lost complete hope, there's no point living, I want to kill myself sort of thing, okay? Therefore, when there's a degree of rationality and capacity to drag themselves back up the hill, those other moments, those acute mental breakdown moments, that's why we have medicine. And so I have no trouble recommending someone seek that sort of medical attention or a family member take them for that sort of medical attention because it's knowing where that patient is on that continuum. The stuff I'm talking about is where we've still got capacity. We're not good, but we've got capacity and we can still start changing. Now, that person who's got an acute psychiatric episode still requires acceptance, commitment therapy and still requires connectedness and all these other things but it just might not be the right tool at that moment in time. And we have to recognize that. That's why I love your approach, Scott, to medicine, because there are a lot of people out there that are anti-medicine to the point of being detrimental to their patients, but you use whatever works. And I really want to thank you for downloading all your thought leadership today. And I think the overarching medicine and the message is connectedness is the key to our survival and the key to neutralizing stress. And I'm really hoping that everyone that follows our podcast 
and has subscribed to a higher branch and people that have attended our events in the past get that sense of connectedness. We all have a common goal and all the speakers such as Scott come onto our podcast and are generous with their time because they want to see you flourish. They want to see you live your best life. So Scott, thank you very much for your information today. It was absolutely incredible. I'm going to go back and listen to it myself. There are so many key takeaways from that. So thank you. You are most welcome. It was lots of fun. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And I definitely will reach out to you very soon so we can work on a future podcast that we can do together. We covered the seven S's, but I think within those seven S's, there's some key areas, especially that one on acceptance. So thank you so much. And I will see you personally very soon. I'm doing more tests under my journey to getting to know thyself. So yeah, we'll talk soon. So for everyone else that's listening, thank you again. As always, live consciously, my friends. Thank you.